I, I imagine I'm probably supposed to say like, this isn't the opinion of, of Angel Studios or, or, or Harvard Brothers or whatever. But the idea of restricting investments to accredited investors only, you know, the, the stated claim is that it's to protect the unsophisticated investor from, you know, essentially being duped into, you know, terrible investments where they get screwed, you know, where, where they where they lose their money. But it feels like in reality what ends up happening instead is that it closes out the non-accredited Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with Benton Crane, CEO at Harmon Brothers, co-founder at VidAngel and, and various other projects that we'll be talking about. If you missed part one, please go back and listen to hear about some of the successes of Harmon Brothers has driven over $450 million of revenue for their clients, over one and a half billion views. VidAngel, how they they made it through their lawsuit with Disney and, and came out the other side with the number one collection of clean comedy in the world called Dry Bar Comedy, which I've been to in person and we're subscribers at my house. And by the way, well, I'll, you got so many things. We'll just, I'm just going to jump right in there. Let's stop at dry bar and talk about it. Okay. How fascinating to not just sit and look, lick your wounds and be annoyed that Disney is suing you into oblivion. Like that's entrepreneurial. Like I've been over to that space to, you know, and, and met Neil and stuff. And this idea, like there are so many of us that like comedians, but are not going to, not going to, I'm not going to bring my kids. Do you know what I mean? Because it's mostly sex jokes and swears, right? Yeah, it's um, it's a huge gap in the market. Yeah, yeah, huge, huge, huge gap in the market. And so I'll I can share a, a, a little bit about this, but I have to make it clear that my my day to day when all of that was going down was at Harmon Brothers sure, running sure. an ad agency. And so the innovation that happened at Dry Bar Comedy, like all the credit for that goes to Neil and Jeff and you know the team that they yeah, had yeah. that they had built around them, but. There's one really big innovation that, in my opinion, is kind of like at the core of it all. And it's interesting because a member of uh, VidAngel's board is Paul Alston. He's he's kind of like one of the venture capital OGs in, in Utah. He, he kind of helped bring venture capital to, to Utah. And in his college days, he went to college at, here in Provo, and he actually established a comedy club in Provo. I don't recall for certain what, what the name of it was. I forget. But one of the challenges that he faced on a regular basis in running this comedy club, you know, this was a couple decades ago or whatever, was that he would bring these comedians in. And then he was kind of forced to, to be like, well, your Provo audience is going to be a little bit different than your typical audience. And so here are the things that you shouldn't say. And, and the reaction that he would get over and over again from these comedians was like, don't tell me what I can and can't say, Like I'll say whatever I want to say. And so, you know, he would have guys come in and, you know, sometimes they would just bomb in front of a Provo audience or sometimes members of the audience would get all offended and they'd stand up and walk out and, and that sort of thing. But Jeff Harmon had this idea that was actually rooted in, you know how when you drive down the road and you see the speed limit signs, the right underneath the sign, it tells you how fast you're going. And that little feedback loop 
ended up proving more effective than traffic tickets at slowing down traffic. It, it was more effective than like the flashing lights of a, of a school zone. And, and it's so interesting that it was so effective because when the idea came up, the naysayers were like, why would that work? Everyone has a speedometer right under their nose. They already know. Like, yeah, they already know how fast they're going. They can connect the, connect the dots. But when you flash that, that feedback right underneath the sign, it closes the feedback loop in a way that changes human behavior. And, and so Jeff had this idea that if he could give the comedians a feedback loop to be able to know what their audience wanted and to be able to react to what their audience wanted, then he wouldn't have to enforce any type of you know, behavior or tell them what they can and can't say. Instead, they would just self-police. And, and so he used what they had already built at VidAngel, this filtering system that allows people to say, hey, you know, I'd like to mute the F word or I'd like to skip this type of content. So he came up with this idea where he would just tell the comedians, say what you want to say. It's your set. You're in control. But the more that people filter you, the less you get paid. Because the more <laughs> that people filter you, the less in line with your audience you are. And, and so that one tiny little innovation made it so that he can bring in comedians from any place in the world. And now they have a data set, a rich data set that they can show these comedians and say, here's the type of content that gets filtered. Here's the type of content that doesn't get filtered. Go do your set. It's, it, you're in control. You get to choose. And, and so the comedians have told police to themselves. There's no censorship. It's so, I, we've watched so much of that. We turn it on in the car all the time. It's like, oh, this is getting me uh -huh. a long car drive. And I don't want my teenagers arguing with my 10 year old. So, because that's, a, that conversation, that argument can go on for eternity. Yeah. Right? We yep. turn, we will turn dry bar on. And it's funny how many times you can hear the, the comedian police themselves. They're like, and then that's right. actually I can't tell that joke here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then they to something else. And it is funny how consistently, especially because there's so many black comedians that come on, right? And they're like, wow, this is a white room. This is an incredibly white room. Actually, since I got off the plane, Utah, you know, it's funny those those things that come up and how often, no matter where they're from, they're like, man, people are really nice here. I, I can't believe it's so beautiful. You're right in the mountains and everybody is nice. It's like, you can, tr like, there's an overwhelming percentage of those comedians that have made those comments on there. And so it almost has like this, like, it drive to me, Drive Bar almost has its own flavor because you have this commonality of comedians doing sets like they've never done before because they're getting paid to do that kind of set, right? And they're making, because most of them have never been to Provo, Utah before, they're making the Provo jokes and the, anyways. Well, what I find so fascinating about it is that outside of dry bar comedy, there is a feedback loop for comedians, but that feedback loop is in the comedy clubs where, you know, when they go to open mic night to test out their new content, they're showing up at a club where it's, you know, lots of other comedians there, or it's people who hear a lot of stand-up comedy already. And so in order to get the laughs and to get the reaction, they have to go for shock value. And so the comedy tends to trend toward uh, harder, bluer comedy, if you will. And, and that's the feedback loop that, that they're reacting to. And so that's why the comedy ends up going in that direction. But then when you step out of that environment and go try to perform in front of a family friendly audience or go try to represent a brand, you know, doing a corporate gig or, or something like that, 
then it then the that feedback loop is broken and so that's where dry bar comes in and it just changes what the feedback loop is and again the numbers are incredible obviously helped save that angel in the middle of this like it's basically a death defying feat during the lawsuit with it, disney right it did save it, it did save vid angel it uh dry bar hitting its stride is is one of the things that allowed vid angel to endure a multi-year multi-million dollar lawsuit with with disney and come out the other side stronger for having done it and and correct me if i'm exaggerating here did i hear you guys did a billion views the first year of dry bar no it, that's now it, that's you now. know it it was a grind in the in the beginning it, okay. it took two or three years to to get legs but now it, it it operates at about a billion views per year and has been for the past couple of years. That's incredible. Well, let, let's talk more about Angel Studios. And we already talked about The Chosen, you know, raised 13 million that brought in 130 million in revenue. I think that's pretty good metrics for most folks. I, so after I was in Citigroup, mergers and acquisitions in the States, I went back home to Canada and the security laws mm -hmm. are much different there. At least they were in the, in the late, you know, late 2000s. And basically... Where down here for 80 something years, you had to be an accredited investor if you wanted mm -hmm. to buy into investment that's off the stock market, broadly speaking. Yep. In Canada, there's all these extra exemptions. So we had accredited investor exemption, but we had things like we had something called an exempt investor exemption. So as long as you made $75,000 a year, you could invest. Now, if you know, okay. but the percentage of people that make 75 grand compared to 200 grand is order, orders of magnitude. Oh, yeah, order, huge. Right? Huge. And, and then if they didn't make 75 grand a year, all they had to do is have a lawyer tell them, a lawyer and accountant verify that this person had been told you can lose all your money and that they signed a waiver saying, I recognize that I could lose all my money. And then you could talk, then you could do it any Canadian. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now there's different things with the provinces and stuff. And a lot changed post 2008 with some knee jerk stuff. But what's funny is, as Canada started becoming more like the US, the US interrupts, introduces the Jobs Act and becomes more like yeah. Canada had been for the previous 80 years. And it is just fascinating to me how much American entrepreneurs underestimate what this can do. Like I lived in a province that had like 3 million people and they would do $2 billion a year in exempt raises out of a province of 3 million people, right? Like because none of the investment bankers that I used to work with at Citigroup even know anybody that lived pre-Glass-Spiegel, P-1933 Securities Act, like it's so outside of the culture of just, let's just go advertise to anybody like this is a product, you know? They're so used to, let's go to a pension fund and get a big giant check. The, the idea of duplication of the internet to be your sales rep is, it's just, it's not in the collective consciousness. And it's fascinating to me that folks like yourselves, you do not, you know, do the typical, like, do your, do your time at McKinsey before you go back to Harvard for your MBA, before you're at Goldman, before you get into investing, you guys are just taking your Harmon brothers successes and now pulling them over here. Like, I think that the ads for investing are just as funny as the Harmon brother ads for, for the products. Yeah. Yeah. Th thank you, man. If I could express an opinion, I, I imagine I'm probably supposed to say like, this isn't the opinion of, of angel studios or, or, or Harmon brothers or whatever, but the idea of restricting investments to accredited investors only, you know, the, the stated claim is that it's to protect the unsophisticated investor from, you know, essentially being duped into, you know, terrible investments where they get screwed, you know, where, where they where they lose their money. But it feels like in reality, what ends up happening instead is that it closes out the non-accredited investors from the best investment opportunities. 
And, and that's why you see, you know, pretty much across the board when Facebook went public, all of the private investors who had had access prior to that public offering were already rich. You know, it, it, they already had massive returns. And of course, there have been big returns for Facebook since that point, but the huge returns all came prior to that, that public offering. And historically, only accredited investors can get access to those, to those private offerings, which I, I hate that. And so when the Jobs Act came along and said, okay, under certain situations, non-accredited investors can have access to you know, the, these early stage deals, and they opened it up for Reg CF, which it stands for Regulation Crowdfund. Started out as you could raise, you know, up to a million seventy. Now that cap has been lifted to to five million, or Reg A plus, which I can't remember what the caps are on it. The, it what well for a Reg A plus tier two, it was fifty and got raised to seventy five million a year. Got it, got it. Um, and that breakthrough, not only did it save VidAngel, is in, in 2016, when, when Disney sued, basically we were able to go to our audience and say, hey, we're being sued by Disney. We need to raise some money so that we can fight this. And I don't remember what the exact number was, but it was like, we raised $10 million in something like five days. And, and that was basically our crowd saying, we believe in you. We want to invest in you. We want you to go fight this fight. And, and not only did that give us the resources to fight, but it also gave us the resources to go and, and build Dry Bar Comedy, which then you know, gave us the resources to, to eventually survive and, and thrive. But that also... It, there was this moment where after that 2016 fundraise, Daniel Harmon, he saw that and he was like, whoa, if we can do this for a company, why can't we do it for a show? And he called Neil and he was like, we could do this for a show. And that was like the genesis moment for The Chosen of then, then everyone was on the lookout for what is that show going to be? And so when Dallas uh, Jenkins created his, his his short film called The Shepherd, he did it for his church. Matthew Ferracci, our publicist, brought that to Jeff and Neil Harmon, and they both saw it and instantly. They were like, "Yep, that's it. That's the one right there." So they brought in Dallas and everything, and that and that that's how the chosen happened. And since then, we've taken several shows through the same process. I mentioned Tuttle Twins is one my team is working on. Uh, there's the Wing Feather Saw, which raised uh, $5 million. There's uh, Riot in the Dance, which raised, I can't remember, three-something million dollars. And The Shift, I think, raised over a million dollars. There have been several of these shows where... Well, you you guys are getting attention from really legitimate people. I have other friends who uh, worked like worked on Minority Report at DreamWorks and are partners yep. with partners with guys who produced you know Schindler's List and Jurassic Park. I mean, like legitimate Hollywood people, yep. right? Yep. And and they tell me about their their meetings. Oh, I gotta go. We're going back to VidAngel. We're going to talk about this and this. You know what I mean? Like it is. It's a real shift in the landscape. It's completely different financing method. And again, not necessarily being subject to the the values of Hollywood, which oftentimes don't ma don't match up with Middle America, right? That's right. And, and, and it goes back. It goes back to that feedback loop. It, you know, in Hollywood, the feedback loop is, hey, you know, what content are our is our executive board going to green light or what content is going to get us awards at the, you know, at the next ceremony instead of what content does our audience actually want? And it's obviously an element. It just gets put through a different filter, right? And, and it appeals to a certain audience and it doesn't appeal to another audience, but they don't have another option. 
And so it's interesting how there's like, there's so much demand that folks completely outside the system, like yourselves, are having $130 million revenue successes at Angel Studios, right? So, yeah, so you, to, go ahead. To, to be clear, um, I'm involved in, in the marketing. So Harmon Brothers, we're involved in the marketing for, for The Chosen. Sure. We're building a show for Angel Studios, which is Tuttle Twins. I just want to make it clear that I don't take credit for, you know, <laughs> yeah. for, for the success I, of I The know, Chosen. I know, you can clarify. I just yeah, love you guys yeah. all together and I probably shouldn't. Well, let, let's talk about Tuttle Twins. Let's talk about being an executive producer. So give people the, the log line for the show. So the show is based on a, on a children's book series called The Tuttle Twins by Connor Boyack. He was looking for a way to teach his kids some of the principles of freedom and economics, proper role of government, golden rules, some of those type of things. And he was having a really hard time finding good resources. And so he decided, hey, I'll write a book. So he, the original one was based on, on Frederick Bastiat's The Law, which is kind of some classical literature for, you know, for libertarians, people who, you know, who believe in freedom and li limited government. And, uh, and it was so well received that he decided, hey, I'm going to start, you know, writing several more, not episodes, what's the, I guess. In the series. Yeah, yeah, more books in the series. And then he got to where, you know, he was selling dozens of copies per day, which basically meant it had turned into a financial success that was self-sustaining and it was growing. And and he knew that we at Harmon Brothers were all customers. We had all, my partners and I, we had all bought the books and were reading them to our kids and stuff. And so he came to us seeking marketing help. And, and so we were able to dive in with him and start helping him with his marketing. And he grew from a few dozen books per day to hundreds of books today. And now it's thousands of books per day. Now that this show came out, how many, what's, what's the total sales for the series? I'm going from memory here. I think he's broken over 3 million books sold. Wow. Which keep in mind, this is a self-published -pub, self book series, you know, that doesn't have the backing of Harper Collins or, you know, what, or whatever else. This is just great content and marketed to people who, who feel like they're underserved. So, so we already knew that there was huge demand for this type of content because we saw it in the, in the books. And he started exploring the idea of, of turning it into a TV series. And at this exact same time, we knew, so we're, at, we're in advertising. We fundamentally believe that the future of advertising is going to be very integrated with entertainment. So much so that in so many areas, commercial breaks have, have gone extinct, which means that for advertising to exist in the entertainment, it has to somehow integrate in in a seamless way. And, and so we knew that you know for the future, of advertising, we've got to become also just world-class entertainers. And so we were actually looking for an opportunity to make a show so that we could, you know, develop our, our entertainment muscles, our storytelling muscles, and, and we want to become world-class at it. You know, we, we know that Pixar started out in advertising and they became world-class storytellers. Disney did some advertising and then he became a, a world-class storyteller. So we know that it can be done and, and we want to do it too. And so when we found out that Connor was, was interested in turning it into a TV series, we went to him and said, Hey, who better than our team? We can take on taboo topics. We've proved that we can be entertaining and educational at the same time. We've proved that. Let us try to tackle this. 
And, and so it was kind of a natural fit. So we partnered up with, with Connor and then we took it to the crowd and raised, I think we'd raised a million from private investors and 3.7 from, from the crowd, if I remember correctly, which at the time set the record for the largest children's film project, uh, crowdfunded children's film product or project of all time. And then like two months later, we helped Wingfeather break our own record. The Wingfeather saga raised 5 million, I, I believe. Can we, can we talk so, about that for one second? Yeah. Here, finish your, yeah. finish your thought, but I got a bunch of questions. I think that that wraps up my thought. I can dive in. We've now launched Tuttle Twins. In fact, episode six airs tonight. I don't know when this podcast is going to air, but we're we're recording it on February 1st and the episode uh, actually drops tonight. So th- this will put us halfway point of season one. We have 12 episodes for season one. That's great. So I guess I have, I have a whole bunch of questions. I think I'll start with this. When you When it comes to crowdfunding, for, mm-hmm. for a media property like this. What was what are the principles having been through it now? You know, obviously you guys you set you set the world record for for your genre at the time. What were the lessons? What were your takeaways? What what will you do next time because of what you learned this time? Yeah. So the what we've learned, we've now been through, I think Harmon Brothers has been involved in the marketing side of the fundraisers probably half a dozen times now. We helped in The Chosen. We helped on the original Vid Angel. We did the Tuttle Twins, Wing Feather Saga. We, probably around six or seven is, is, is my estimation. And what we've seen is it, three pieces are needed to be successful. The first one is what Angel Studios refers to as the torch. And that's a term that they actually took from the original crowdfunded art project, which was the Statue of Liberty. You know, everyone thinks that the Statue of Liberty was just this gift that that France gave to to America, but that's not actually true. The artist was actually able to cobble together enough money to build the the statue's torch. And he then took that torch from city to city and allowed people to tour the torch. There was actually a staircase that went up inside the torch so that he could share this vision of this big, you know, the, the big Statue of Liberty that, that he wanted to create. And uh, he, he worked at crowdfunding that for, I think it was a couple of years until finally, I think it was Pulitzer, if I'm not mistaken, decided to help out by posting the, the progress on the front page of the newspaper. And he also reported the names of the people who contributed on the, on the day prior. So each day it would show this is how much has been raised and these are the people who who contributed. So it was genuine crowdfunding. This was like, you know, this was oh, Kickstarter. Yeah, this was Kickstarter of the of the 1800s. And uh, and once Pulitzer, you know, helped out with the the front page, then the then the crowdfunding went super fast and he raised all the money that was necessary and then, you know, built the whole Statue of Liberty. And and so Angel has taken that idea of the torch, which basically says, hey, an artist needs to bring something to the table to show a vision of what they're trying to to create. And so in the world of Angel Studios, that can mean a pilot episode. It can mean a a completed script in Atomatic. It, It can mean lots of different things, but basically some way for the artist to communicate, this is the vision of what I'm going to build. So that's the first thing. Um, you've got to have a great torch. In the case of The Chosen, their torch was The Shepherd, that short film that Dallas had made for, for, his, for his church. Something that brings the, the viewer into that world and communicates that vision. 
The second piece that we found is, is what we call just the pitch video, which think of a very Harmon, Harmon Brothers-esque pitch, which is basically saying, hey, this is the opportunity. This is why you should consider it. And then we build credibility and overcome concerns is basically what's needed to get people comfortable with this idea. Yeah, I'm actually going to open up my wallet. I'm going to part with 500 bucks or I'm going to part with a thousand bucks or, or whatever the case may be. Is that um, your average? I don't know what the average is. I want to say it's somewhere around 500 bucks, but um, I'd have to check with with the angel team to to know where where that is. I think it's around 500. So yeah, that's that's piece number two is that you know that pitch. The chosen didn't have that, and and the chosen's crowdfund was a long. It, it took over a year to raise that money. It it was a grind. Whereas I think Wing Feather raised theirs in like 21 days or something because they had the they had the torch, they had the pitch. And then I would say the third piece is a robust marketing strategy behind it. You know, a lot of artists believe that like, oh, if I put my torch out there, then it'll just happen. But the reality is it actually takes a lot of marketing behind the scenes. And that can involve anything from a press strategy. It can involve influencer collaboration strategy. It can involve ad buying. It can involve a live streaming strategy. Lots of different things, but the point is you have to have a robust marketing strategy to successfully raise those, those millions of dollars. And from what we've seen, when you put those three pieces together, assuming you have great content, you know, it, it's based on a it's based on a great show, you can be successful in 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 raising the millions of dollars needed to to bring the shows to life. That's awesome. Well, I know we're about out of time. I guess my last question would be, you know, as an executive producer, what's what do you feel like you've learned there? What do you feel like are the critical now that you're executive producing entertainment that's not advertisements? One of the biggest learnings for me is that the film world traditionally has looked at film projects or TV projects as projects. And I believe under this new model and this new way of doing things, I think that mindset is going to have to shift from seeing these things as projects to seeing them as companies. And, and one of the nuances there is that, you know, in the past, it used to be looked at as, oh, if I go build this project, then I can just take that project and I can sell it. And, and then I can leverage that experience into going to do my next project. But the Chosen or Tuttle Twins or Wing Feather Saga, in order to be successful, we have to think and look and act like an actual startup where, hey, we just raised money from our seed investors. Now we have to go show results for that. And we have to put all of the infrastructure and systems and processes and people in place so that it can be an ongoing success that eventually is going to provide a return back to, to the original investors. And, and in my opinion, that, that's a pretty big shift. And so what we're finding is if you can take a successful startup entrepreneur and pair them with a world-class creator who is the artist, that's the match made in heaven. And, and so in the case of Tuttle Twins, you know, Daniel is that world-class storyteller creator, and I'm bringing the, the business expertise to the table and between the two of us, hopefully we're creating a show that looks and acts like a company so that it can produce returns for, for its investors. So a little bit different than, than what has historically been done. But in my opinion, it's an important change. Yeah, so exciting. 
Listen, this has been fun. I appreciate you making all the time and congrats on all the success. Hey, thank you. It's a pleasure to, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, let's say, uh, I know we did this at the end of part one, but let's do it again. Where should people connect with you and what website should be, people be going to? Yeah, depending on which part of the conversation interested you, if, if you want to know more about our marketing services, harmanbrothers.com. If you want to follow one of the shows, you can check out the Tuttle Twins or tuttletwinsshow.com or uh, The Chosen is The Chosen TV, or I think it's thechosen.tv or thechosentv.com. Crap, I can't remember. Or angel.com if you're interested in, in you know, the, the all the innovation that's happening from a, you know, distribution point of view and creation point of view as well. So thanks for having me on. You bet. Bye, everyone.